Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's going to be where we hang out uh, this morning. It was one year ago, uh, almost to the day, that my daughter, uh, my wife and I got to spend a couple of days in the emergency room as my daughter, uh, my four-year-old daughter at the time, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Uh, if you don't know what type 1 diabetes is, it basically means my daughter's pancreas is broken. Uh, it doesn't produce insulin, and so uh, she is insulin dependent. We get to make sure that uh, we watch her food and her activity and give her the proper things to keep her uh, alive or keep her uh, what, in a healthy range. And going into this, we had no idea uh, about diabetes. It's not on either side of our family. We didn't know the last thing we would have expected, but we have quickly been learning about what that looks like and, and what it takes for us to manage it. So uh, type 2 is a little bit different than type 1. Type 2 generally can be regulated diet, exercise, not the case with type 1. So she will always have type 1. And so because of that, we get to carry around a cute little pink bag that has all sorts of things to keep her uh, healthy. So one of the things that always looks weird is we have a bunch of candy uh, that we carry around with her, and we'll be at the park, and one of our, uh, my wife or I will have to run up to her and give her some Smarties or an Airhead, and I feel like we look like bad parents, like other people are judging us a little bit, like you give your kid candy at the park, what kind of parents are you? But but it's necessary uh, to, if her blood sugar drops low, we give her candy to bring it back up. Uh, we have other things, uh, like uh, she has an insulin pump, so if her blood sugar gets too high, uh, we give her insulin that brings it back down into a healthy range. She has her own phone, also feel a little bit judged by that. Uh, why does a five-year-old need a phone? Well, that's what we use to be able to track her, uh, her numbers to see where her blood sugar is at. Technology is a beautiful thing in the diabetes world, so we are able to uh, even like check her blood sugar on our watches and our phones and things like that so we can keep track of her. Makes us a little helicoptery, but that's all right. We need to keep our daughter healthy. Uh, but this is our, our normal routine. And at times, over the, especially in the beginning, I, I remember sitting in the hospital thinking, I am not equipped to, to do this. Like, I can't keep my daughter, I have a hard enough time keeping a healthy child alive, let alone a child that has an incurable disease. And I feel like that's kind of the whole like, goal of parenting is, right, keep your kid alive at the beginning. Uh, I feel like a child's first birthday is really a celebration to the parents. Like, you did it. Good job. You kept your kid alive. Congratulations. So um, this has been kind of a new experience because a, a five-year-old, we felt like there's probably bigger goals that we should have. But we, we went back to, okay, we got to keep our, our daughter uh, alive. And, and even this week, like it's been a year, we've, we've gotten far more comfortable. Technology has made it a lot easier. But this week, I, I got to bring the kids into work for an hour or so. And getting all, my wife had to leave for work early, so I, I had to get the kids breakfast, I had to get them dressed, I had to get them out the door. The three kids, I, I was feeling pretty good about myself doing that, getting them all out there. And we're driving here, and just out of habit, I check my watch, see what my daughter's numbers are at, and there's, next to her number, there's, uh, it says old. And that means that she has been away from her phone long enough that it's not picking up her numbers. And I immediately know, I've left the bag at home. I've left this thing that keeps my daughter alive at home. And so I, I, as good as I was feeling about myself, I had to turn the car around. Uh, and my son's like, forgot the bag, didn't you? Yes, I forgot the bag. Um, always keeps you humble. And so I turn around, 
and I come back. But I've just thought it, over and over again, man, I feel so inadequate at times to keep my daughter uh, just healthy with this disease. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought we do so much in our lives to prevent ourselves from feeling inadequate, right? It's we're parents. We want to do uh, as much as we can to make sure that we are good parents. And so we'll read books. Um, we will, some of us will go to like parenting conferences uh, because we want to be good parents. We don't want to feel inadequate. Or if uh, we're in a relationship, if we're married, we want to make sure that we are a good spouse. And so we'll, again, read books. We'll go to conferences. We'll, we'll listen to podcasts. We'll do things that help us uh, become better in that area. If you uh, are a, a, have a job, that you want to grow in. You don't want to feel inadequate in your job. And so in the same way, we'll, we'll read books, we'll go to conferences. If we want to be financially responsible, we'll, we'll read books, we'll go to conferences. We'll do all these things because we understand how important it is in these areas of our lives to not feel inadequate, to not feel like we don't have enough to get the job done. And what I have found for myself is that I often carry that fear of inadequacy into my relationship with God. I think that this fear of inadequacy is one of the major things that holds me back from being able to live a, a fully godly life. That I want to, like that Pastor Derek said last week, I want to be able to go all in, but I don't really trust my hand. I don't trust myself. I know too much about myself. And so I know my deficiencies and where I fall short. And I think to myself, I can't, I can't. And so I begin to wonder, is this something, is this a fear that is actually based in reality? Is this something that is legitimately true of God? Does God look at me and say, you don't have enough. You are inadequate. You can't do the thing that I'm calling you to do. Or is it just something that I experience in so many other areas of my life that I project that fear onto God? Is it something that I just assume because it's what I battle with everybody else that God must feel the same way about me? This morning, I want us to look in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 because I think Peter is trying to address this with this community of, of Christians that he is writing to. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Peter and we'll look at verse in chapter 1, we'll start there. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now this verse, there's a word that stands out to me. And that word is everything. He has given us everything that we need. And, and that stands out to me because I have been taught that you should avoid words like everything, these absolute words, because generally life does not operate in absolutes. This is Relationship Advice 101. Don't, if you're in conflict with your spouse, don't say they always do this or they never do that, because, right, that's not true. It's, it's, uh, maybe we think it's true, but it's not true. And so this word is a very absolute word. God has given you everything that you need, which is different because sometimes I feel like God's given me most of what I need, but but everything? Everything is such an all-encompassing word. What do we do with that? But this word is so absolute because it it's true that God has given us 
everything that we need through our knowledge of him, through this saving relationship with him. We have been given his spirit, his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, which means you have everything that you need in order to live a godly life. And maybe that makes some of us uncomfortable because we don't like the absoluteness of that. We would prefer to have an excuse, but, but this spirit of God is, is after transforming us, after growing us into people who look more and more like him. And so he transforms our hearts and our desires and the way we see people. And this is a transformation that takes place through his spirit. And one commentator said this, he said, believers will be morally transformed. But the basis for their transformation is God's grace. Now, God's grace, grace is one of those, like, million-dollar Christian words, right? It's, it's super powerful, and there's so much that goes along with it. And this morning, I want us to look at kind of two particular angles related to this idea of grace. And, and those two concepts are justification and sanctification. Now, those are very Christian words that do not really get used outside of church. So I want us to try and break them down because they have very real practical implications for how we live our lives. So let's start off with this word justification. Justification is being made right before God. And this is a legal term. So I want you to imagine yourself in a courtroom. Some of you are like, I would prefer not to. But you're in a courtroom. And on the other side against you is a ton of evidence, your DNA, your fingerprints, video surveillance, eyewitness accounts of like a million people. Like it's just, there's so much evidence against you that there's no way that you're going to be declared not guilty. Like it's just, you're trying to figure out how long is my sentence going to be. But what you have in your favor is you have Jesus. And Jesus Because he loved us enough, he said, you know what, I'm going to take your punishment. So I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to do all of the work necessary to save you. And so because of that, God looks at us and he says, you are not guilty. It makes no sense. There's no logical, you can't create a mind map that's going to make that make any sense based off of anything that we have done. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of being made right before God is it's, it's nothing that you can work to do. It is simply a gift. It is say, God saying, if you just believe in me, if you put your faith and your trust in me, you are declared not guilty. And this happens in an instant. In the same way in a courtroom, as soon as someone is declared not guilty, they go from being in jail to they get to go home. Like they are in an instant free. And in the same way, justification happens for us. God says, as soon as you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are made not guilty. That is the picture of justification. The Bible wants us to understand deeply, the writers of the New Testament especially, want us to understand that this is nothing that you can earn. So stop trying to work at earning that. A couple of different places that they speak to this, so you don't think I'm just making this up. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9 say, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2. 
He says, we know that a person is not made right with God by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be made right by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be made right. He's trying to really make sure we understand you guys can't earn this. Stop trying to earn it. Just accept the gift. Live in that freedom. So not only are we made right when we make the decision, but, but we're also invited to participate in a bigger story. And Peter gets at this in verse 4 of, of chapter 1. He says this, through these, through God's uh, glory and goodness, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has always had this really weird plan where he's wanted to include people in it. Against like all good judgment, because we saw how that went, right? Adam and Eve, he's like, hey, I want you to help me. And they're like, okay, fruit, boom. And then it, like, it all falls apart. And that's God's like plan is he's still going to try and use people throughout over and over again. And, and that story is still true for us. So as soon as we come into a, a saving relationship with him, he invites us to participate in the divine nature. He, he gives us his spirit so that we can join him in his redemptive plan to make all things right. And it doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's his plan and he knows better than we do. And so we, we trust he knows what he's up to and what he's after. But by the grace of God, he gives us this opportunity to be made right by having a saving faith in the work that he has done. And through this faith and through this knowledge, we've been given the divine, the divine power, the Holy Spirit, that gives us everything that we need in order to live a godly life. So let's go back to that fear of inadequacy? Is that something that is based in reality? Does God look at us and say, you are lacking. You have more to give. You need to do more in order to get to that place. No. The Bible says if we have a saving faith in Jesus, you have everything you need. And that's a little bit scary, but it's what, what Scripture wants us to understand. If we go back, that's our identity is you're enough. You're not lacking. It's a shift in mindset. So this leads to the second kind of major concept that we got to look at this morning, and that's sanctification. Now, sanctification is the process of growth once we are saved. So if justification happens in an instant, you were guilty, you are now not guilty, sanctification is what happens after that. And it does not happen in an instant, right? Because I'm not like Jesus, and I've been saved for a while. It's this lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And in this process, like, I think if we don't have a good understanding of sanctification, it can lead us down a couple of potentially dangerous paths. I think the first potentially dangerous path is if we, we have a wrong understanding, we can, we can interpret sanctification as works-based salvation. We can think, okay, I am not like Jesus. There are things that I need to do in order to become like Jesus. And once I do these things, then God will be like, okay, you finally earned it. And so I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. 
I need to serve more. I need to do whatever. Like, I need to give more. There's a checklist that I need to get through in order to earn my salvation. And the problem with that is what we just read, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, not by work. But we fall into this trap of, man, if, if I just read the Bible today, maybe God's going to be like, oh, he finally read enough verses. Thank you. Or you finally spent enough time in prayer. Or you finally served that one extra person. You finally made it. But that's not true. Because justification happens in an instant, the moment you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And so sanctification is this process of just trusting that. It's not work-based. But because it's not work-based, we can swing to the other extreme, and we can say, oh, so this is no work-based then. I don't have to do anything. God has already done all the work for me, and so I just get to sit back and watch it all happen. And this is equally dangerous because that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not the way that the Bible talks about it. And so this morning I want to contend for what I believe is a more biblical view, and I want us to look at a few verses that, that highlight this idea and this concept. The first one is in Colossians chapter 1. Paul is talking about his mission to go and to teach and to make known the name of Jesus. And he says, I labor for this. Striving with his strength, the word powerfully within me. That's weird. I, he's saying, I do the work. But whose power is he using? He's using the power of the Spirit of God. He says this again in Romans chapter 8. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. But if by the Spirit, so you're, again, you're relying on the Spirit of God and the power that he's given you. If by the Spirit, who puts it to death? You. You have the Spirit of God. There's an effort for you to put things to death. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern that exists in Scripture of sanctification, this growth process, being a joint effort. And this is where some of us get nervous. We're like, this sounds a lot like work. And as soon as I hear that word work in relation to my relationship with God, we get a little bit nervous. This begins to sound, again, like work-based salvation. And, and, and when work-based salvation comes in, then, like, grace is threatened. And we love grace, right? We love grace. And so when that's threatened, we get a little defensive. Uh, how, what do, I don't know. Hold on. Hold on. But I think Dallas Willard says it best. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. There's a difference. Grace is not opposed to the effort. It is opposed to you using that effort to earn your grace, to earn your salvation. And so maybe an analogy will help. Uh, let's, let's take sailing as an example. If you were to, to guess, or if you were to say, what is the most important force, power, whatever, what's the most important thing to make a sailboat move? Wind, right? If you don't have wind, it becomes a rowboat. Right? There's a difference. Or if you have an engine, not a sailboat. A sailboat specifically requires wind to go. Now, let's say a sailor has a spe specific target of where they are trying to get to. 
What do they need to do in order to make the boat get to where they want it to go? To answer that question, let's watch the video. So those guys just look like they're out for a nice little Sunday sale, right? No work involved. There's no, like, we see that and we go, this, for me, this is a really good picture of, of what is necessary in order to, to live out our, our sanctification. Because on one hand, they on their own cannot muster up that kind of power, right? The wind in and of itself is the force that is driving that boat. What they are trying to do is harness that power and make it most effective. Because if they have a goal, which they do, if they have a goal, they can't just sit back and be like, well, I hope this gets us where we want it to get us. Right? There's, there, that's not going to happen. They have to do all that work, running across the boat, running and, and doing all, like they have to do that in order to get to where they want to get. And I think this is a beautiful picture because if we're not careful, I think it's easy for us to miss out on participating in the divine nature because we're scared of working. We're scared of earning our salvation. That word work scares us. And so we just, we, we step back and, and try and figure out what that looks like. Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung, he says this. He says, some Christians are stalled out in their sanctification for simple lack of effort. That we want to grow, but we like we don't know, is it God, is it me? Do I do I let him do work? Do I do? But I know from my experience, there have been so many times where I'm like, God, would you just like make this stop? Would you, I, I like make it go away? But I don't do anything to like make it go away. Like, God, I want to be more patient with my kids, but like I don't do anything to like join in that effort. Or, or whatever whatever that example might be for you. But I think it's really interesting how Peter continues. So he's laid out this case. It's, it's by grace. God has given us his power. It's great. It's fantastic. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. So there's a lot of stuff there. But the way he starts off is so important. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. Me? I thought God was supposed to do. No. But Paul, Paul, Peter's saying, no, 
Make every effort. He wants us to be clear. Faith is only the starting point. Because he starts there. He says, make sure you make every effort to add to your faith. And then he goes off on this whole list of things to add to our faith. And that's scary. Because for me, growing up in church, it was always that tension of uh, grace and, and works. And is Peter or is Paul right or is James right? Because James says faith without works is dead. And we go, well, that seems opposite of what Paul teaches, but they're, they're all teaching the same big concept. You read them in harmony with each other. And their message is, this is a joint effort. And this makes sense in so many areas of my life, pretty much every area of my life. But I struggle to bring that into my spiritual life. All right, so I, I understand if I make no effort, I will lose no weight. If I make no effort, I will not gain knowledge or skill. If I make no effort, my house will not get cleaned. If I make no effort, I will not experience financial freedom. But I have tricked myself into thinking, if I make no effort, I will still grow in my faith. But without effort, there is no sanctification. Without effort, there is no growth. In our, in our saving relationship with Jesus. And I think we have to be careful of this. I, I've come to really appreciate a, a phrase that uh, Pastor Matt Chandler uses. And he uses this phrase, grace-driven effort. And I love this phrase because I, I think it's a beautiful blend of grace and work. Because grace-driven effort is this idea that as I do stuff, as I follow Jesus and I, and I make every effort, as I go after these things, anything that might be considered work, that we would say, I don't know if I see that, all of that, the primary motivation for that is, is different from, I'm not earning my salvation. I, I don't do this stuff because I have to. I do this stuff because I get it. It's not in order to earn grace, it's in response to grace. And that changes, uh, that's a total change in mindset, but it's a, a really important one. Because if I'm doing stuff in order to earn my salvation, I'm always going to fall short. I'm always going to feel like there's more to give. But if my response is, man, I've been shown so much grace, and I want to respond to that grace by making every effort to add more to that, it changes things. Dallas Willard's a really smart guy, so I have another quote by him. He says, you've never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. There's that blend again. You've never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by what? Grace. The grace sets us on fire to go and live a life that makes every effort to add more and more to what God has already given us. So the question that I, I think is important is what's our response to grace going to be? For some of you, that's a first-time decision where you say, up to this point, I have not put my faith in Jesus. I have not uh, done anything that is, is remotely close to letting him have control. I have been trying to earn it. I've been trying to muster up enough strength. I've been trying to do it all on my own, and I'm beginning to realize I can't do it. Because that's not how we receive salvation. 
It's by grace alone, faith alone. And he's saying, I want to make that decision today by grace through faith to surrender my life. And some of you have already made that decision. And so for you, the decision needs to be to make every effort. And I, I don't really know where you're at, but I'm guessing that if you've been a Christian for like a month or you've been a Christian for 60 years, we can all still grow. I don't think any of us in here would say, oh, I'm like Jesus, like totally. I'm, I'm basically Jesus, because we know that's dangerous, and we know it's not true. So there's, there's room for us to grow, and, and I think the call of Scripture is, regardless of where you're at, regardless of age, regardless of experience, regardless of knowledge, make every effort. Make every effort. And so today, we're going to give you some opportunities to do that, and what we've got going on at the church. But I want you to remember this, you have everything you need in order to live a godly life through our knowledge of him. Let's go live like that.